Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Global Britain podcast with me, Ryan Baldry, Senior Communications Manager at the Coalition for Global Prosperity. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Chairman Ed Royce, who served as a member of the United States House of Representatives from California from 1993 to 2019. A member of the Republican Party, Ed Royce served as Chairman of the United States House Committee on Foreign Affairs from 2013 to 2019. He previously served as a member of the California Senate from 1982 to 1993. So, without further delay, let's get started. So, I'm now delighted to be uh, joined by Chairman Ed Royce. Chairman, thank you for coming today. Well, thank you. It's, It's very good to be with you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Good to see you again. So to kick us off, um, I always like to ask this question of uh, the elected officials I have on the podcast. You know, yes. what? How did you start your journey into politics? You know, what made you? What was the thing that made you decide to run for office? You know, at the at the very start of your career. Oh, I think early in my career, I just had an interest in international issues, uh, and in high school, I used to get students together, uh, sort of from across the political spectrum to discuss ideas. Um, When I got to college, I found out at that period of time, you could actually start your own classes and myself and a classmate started a a class beyond left and right, alternatives in political thought. Uh, It's a little sophomoric, the title, but listen, we we had a great time with it, brought in a lot of speakers. I got to invite some economists to give uh, remarks. And I, I guess it was then that I knew I had the bug in terms of uh, public policy and political economy, especially, and interest mm. in that. Excellent. And when you were elected, I, one of the your positions was chair of the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, I believe. How how was that experience? Because that's you know, likewise in the UK, you know, that's quite an influential and quite well respected committee, is it not? So you know, how was it serving on something like that, dealing with? you know, the big issues that were affecting America and sort of the wider global stage? Well, for me, it was a long slog uh, getting to that position. I I spent 26 years in the House, a great deal of experience uh, internationally. And so I had chaired the the Africa subcommittee for eight years, had worked on issues such as PEPFAR, uh, had worked on the African Growth and Opportunity Act, which well meshed with what the UK was doing and, and what Europe was doing at that time, which is to say, open our markets to um, you know, remove the tariffs so that we could have goods from across Africa tariff-free come into our markets. But in exchange, there was an expectation, sort of a requirement that in doing so, those African states move towards the rule of law, independent, um, judges on courts um, move towards a, a position of uh, a democratic government governance and, and empowering civil society and all of that. Um, so um, along the way, Electrify Africa, a, a bill to uh, further encourage the right kind of development there, did a lot of work on um, empowerment of women in Africa. And, uh, and, and in all of this, uh, increasingly began to understand the role that Britain played uh, in um, sort of a loose alliance of states 
which understood that a lot of this had to do with leadership and cooperation among states that believed in empowering not only people in the developing world, uh, but also resisting um, authoritarian models uh, and trying to develop sustainable development, but with that sustainable development, uh, a concept of, of you know, doing this in the right way that encouraged markets, uh, further empowering people. Uh, so uh, I, I would say this all laid a foundation later uh, for chairing the full committee. Uh, and I, I would say a lot of my focus still remains on the developing countries uh, and what we can do to really make a difference. That's really interesting. And um, one of the things you said there was, you know, about trying to help countries develop the right way and also tackling the influence of authoritarian regimes. Do you think that democracies have almost taken their foot off the pedal when it comes to standing up for democratic values on the world stage? And almost, you know, the situation and the invasion of Ukraine has almost been a bit of a kickstart for the, the argument isn't one yet. There's still a lot more to do. Well, I think it's a reminder that what we take for granted the idea that a rules-based system uh, and one that is going to have some concern over humanitarian consequences and human suffering and, and the, the rights of people, uh, it, it, it seems to me that this was a wake-up call that showed us uh, in the West and uh, in the developing world, all of us who, who aspire to a world with um, an increasing system of more rights, more responsible governance, that in fact, there are those who are willing to tear this down on a whim. There are those who are quite willing to undermine this order. And as we're speaking now about Ukraine, uh, let's, let's speak for a minute about the consequences, uh, health consequences, uh, the, the consequences inside Ukraine for a generation of, of people who are, you know, losing their lives, but also for their children, losing the, the opportunities. Uh, there's going to be massive malnutrition. The British are doing great work in terms of, you know, trying to address this uh, and trying to wake up all of Europe to the, to the consequences. But the, the farmers who are going to you know, lose the capability of getting their crops to market. Uh, maybe they don't plant next year. Maybe those families do not have sustenance going forward in terms of what they do for a living. But then let's look beyond that. Let's look to uh, the Horn of Africa, where the Ukrainian grains, you know, basically are the lion's share of what is coming into that region at, at the same time that we're seeing drought again in Somalia and, and we have you know, uh, 350,000 young children at risk. So we're watching a 38% increase in the price of, of food and food simply not reaching those markets. What do we think is going to happen with all the malnutrition you see there that you see in South Sudan, across North Africa, uh, communities uh, in Yemen, well, we know what's going to happen in Sub-Saharan and, and, and North Africa. We know what's going to happen in these parts of the globe in Central Asia. Uh, 
it's going to be a compounding of malnutrition, stunted birth, starvation. I mean, this, this is what is unfolding before our eyes. And this was a choice by, by the government in Russia, uh, by their head of state, Putin, to block the ability to use food as a weapon and block the ability of grains to get to people in need. It is now the responsibility of people across this globe to push their governments to do everything we can to break that siege and to get, you know, uh, get that food, get those grains uh, before they rot uh, out there onto the work world market. And it's an interesting one because it's, you know, it's not a situation that's going to resolve itself just as a conflict ends because even when, and hopefully this is soon, but even when the conflict ends, you're still going to have a lot of demining work to take place so that people can actually plant these grains again and make the land usable. So, you know, it's going to be something that we're going to have to tackle that UK, US and Europe are going to have to tackle for years to come. Um, so kind of, that's a really good segue into one of my next questions is international development as a whole, I think sometimes gets overlooked as part of foreign policy and um, because it's almost not the, the glamorous side of foreign policy. Um, but how important do you think it is for countries such as the US, UK to have strong development, uh, international development departments and policies um, to help bolster their foreign policy ambitions? I think it's it's critical from the standpoint of uh, the humanitarian interest we have. It's critical from uh, the standpoint of building a more secure world. It's critical uh, in terms of uh, our mutual cooperation in order to see that our values are upheld. And I think that when you look at, at the leadership, uh, primarily from three countries, uh, the, the uh, from the United States, from Germany, from the UK, uh, traditionally, uh, these three entities uh, and the support that we've had, you know, behind the good citizens who are involved in this issue and continue to drive policymakers to look at this and to remember uh, that we can have such a high return. Uh, in terms of providing food security and providing stability uh, if we remain engaged. And so th this is sort of, for those of us who have some experience in this area, we are always trying to increase uh, our effectiveness. I had legislation, which a few years ago that I passed out of the committee on our development finance corporation. Uh, and as so Britain and as the United States cooperate, this particular new methodology uh, allows uh, our platform to be used by Britain, not just in terms of our mutual cooperation in the developing world, but also in terms of investment. Um, uh, we, we have private sector capital now that can be deployed in this way. Mm -hmm. We've doubled the book of business recently. Um, but that, that said, the ongoing effort to sustain and, and, and focus our policymakers on this is very important. I spent a week here, uh, you and I had a chance to talk a little mm -hmm. bit. I, I spent a week uh, in Britain talking to policymakers uh, and we're, we're focused on what we can do together 
uh, and what we can do to encourage the rest of the world to follow the lead mm -hmm. and also not to uh, lag behind. We, we have to you know, keep the pressure up uh, on this front. And, and uh, that, that was one of the missions of our discussions. Excellent. And from that, how do you think the best way to kind of keep that pressure up is because, you know, as you said, and it's well known, you know, the US and UK are very, work closely, very closely together on a number of areas that everyone knows about and other areas that people may not necessarily know so much, but you know, the connect, the relationship is strong and it's, you know, it could be quite a force for good on the world. Where do you think the kind of missed opportunities are for that to kind of help pushing that forward? I think part of it is also letting members know beyond those who serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee in Britain or in the United States, letting other members of the parliament uh, and, and the civil society organizations know more about mm. the importance of this. Uh, I think uh, British International Development, we had good meetings uh, discussing what needs to happen going, for, going forward. But the thing that people need to remember is that right now, with what Russia is doing in terms of the grain supply, hmm. we've seen a 34% increase in one year in prices. The point we want to make is that for every 1% increase we see, that's a 10 million more souls, 10 million more individuals who uh, are at risk for starvation. And when we see play out this malnutrition, we have to make the connection between the actions we need to take right now uh, in response for what's unfolding in Ukraine uh, before this, you know, impact sweeps across Africa, which is the traditional market for Ukrainian grain. And as I mm. say, uh, parts of Asia as well. It's uh, uh, unfortunately, it's directly related. Uh, and this cooperation can also be addressed better in my view, by having younger members of parliament and younger members of the US Congress meeting together. I'm trying to encourage uh, more uh, across the pond, I guess you call it uh, travel. Uh, and focus on this, but I'm also trying to get them to focus together on trips to Africa and Central Asia, developing the developing world to see the very real impacts that we're having on the ground in terms of our engagement, but why we need to step it up. And one point of interest is always, you know, you, it, you read quite a lot about uh, China's influence in international development and um, how their aid, it's often seems too good to be true because it is because of the lack of sort of strings attached to it and it ends up just turning into you know the politics of debt and that nation will then owe, owe China how do you sort of combat that when you've got China giving uh African uh, states quite sort of you know no strings attached cash almost for this development and then the US and UK are offering the same cash but almost you know with quite a few strings of how it needs to be spent, where it goes, how do you kind of combat that, do you think? Well, I think the, uh, the, the for the Chinese government, a lot of their focus has been to wine and dine African leaders. Uh, and the, the cash, uh, I know this for a fact, <laughs> often goes to African leaders or to um, ministers of prominent committees. That cash doesn't always stay in Africa. A lot of it 
ends up in bank accounts uh, in, um, you know, Liechtenstein and <laughs> other countries. One of the things I would like to see is more cooperation in terms of transparency about where money goes. Now, there's no doubt that Africa also is the beneficiary of money spent by China. They build soccer stadiums, they build roads and so forth. We would like those roads not to, uh, not to go into the forest park systems that we have encouraged African states to set up. We would like those roads not to lead to deforestation in those regions where the, where the timber goes directly to China and where, you know, the conditions uh, uh, of, of benefit to the host state is virtually non-existent. Mm -hmm. So I think application of the rule of law, uh, following the rules, if China could um, uh, understand that the national park systems across Africa, that the Congo uh, Basin Forest Partnership helped Put together, that that is not an open invitation to clear cut all of that timber and send it to South Asia, uh, to China. It, it is instead uh, a desire to have the rules followed. And in terms of empowerment, uh, the the better system would be to employ people in Africa rather than bring in Chinese workers uh, after you put the road into the park system and after you start slaughtering for bushmeat endangered species uh, a little bit more uh, focus on sustainability a little bit more focus on the local communities there and how you might employ them so i'm i'm a bit of a critic after 26 years of being engaged in, in watching this on the ground and a lot of my analysis comes from uh, African think tanks and civil society leaders in Africa who have seen this firsthand. And, and their point would be, the, 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 one of the parts about the Development Finance Corporation that they like is the fact that now in our embassies, we go through the painstaking process of looking at the investments, whether their investments come from the US or the UK or continental Europe or Beijing what are the conditions? What are the real interest rates? What are the assets that are attached? You know, what's the likelihood of this project benefiting the local community? And when you share that with civil society and the governments, the 54 governments across Africa, there is a much greater, greater likelihood that you're going to get a positive, shall we say, um, outcome in terms of evaluating these approaches. And that's why the, the DFC, as well as what Britain is doing, is so important to give those other options, those investments that, let's say, are more focused on what it will mean to empowerment of people, what it'll mean for clean water, uh, for sustainable development. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I think everyone who's working in, in this space is making a tremendous contribution uh, for the future on this planet. On a bit of a sort of broader note, um, I, in your in your role in foreign affairs and uh, with your interest in Africa, you you'd have probably heard a lot of, I guess, criticism maybe of global institutions like the UN. And do you think they're kind of up to the job of ensuring 
sort of like sustainable and healthy development? Or do you think we need to sort of almost have another look at how these organizations are set up and run? I think that what we need to do is, is recognize that leadership by uh, governments that share our values, we need to redouble our efforts in these institutions because Beijing has spent an inordinate amount of time over the last few decades, especially, figuring out how to wrest control of the wheel. Uh, I think to you know, return this to balance, uh, the traditional role that we've seen the UK and the US play and uh, a number of governments around the world that are more focused on, shall we say, uh, uh, a rules-based system. We need to all steal our resolve to get engaged in these institutions, take it seriously and demand the types of reforms that you're alluding to that obviously are necessary from a standpoint of transparency. Uh, but also in terms of, you know, getting the results we have a right to expect and that people on, on this planet have a right to expect out of a multilateral organization like that. Now, with the, the five permanent states each have its veto, so there's, in the Security Council, so there's a limit to just how much damage can be done by a malign actor. But that said, there's so much good that could be done if we would all work together to reform these institutions in terms of accountability. Um, and at the same time, I, I would just make this point. In the General Assembly, there's no reason why African states couldn't bring a vote. One of one, an, an African was speaking to me about this the other day. What about them bringing a, a, a motion uh, to break the siege uh, in Odessa? Uh, and to uh, make a motion that Af Africa sends a flotilla, flotilla uh, there into the Black Sea in order to pick up the grain. Uh, states from North Africa and, uh, uh, and Sub-Saharan Africa all uh, focus on what can be done to get that grain out, put the pressure to demine the harbor, put the pressure to um, have the combatants uh, separated, get the Russian Navy to agree that they would allow, or just make the case, pass the bill. You can pass it in a General Assembly vote. This is what we're going to do. Have that vote on record. I, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, if Africans want to do this, uh, those who uh, are concerned uh, about child uh, malnutrition, uh, and the consequences of this rapidly increasing now cost of, of uh, food, uh, we should all back them. But, but let's encourage them when they, we come, when they come up with an idea like this. Yes, do it. We agree. We agree. You take the lead and do it. Uh, and, and put that institution on notice uh, that uh, there's an effort underway to address this. I, I think you know, let's, uh, let's think creatively about how we can force and press issues having to do with human rights. Uh, we need to take the lead on the humanitarian front, but we need to do it with allies around the, the globe, and often they have better ideas than we do. And we need to, you know, continue to engage also on the development front uh, with Britain and, the, and uh, Germany and other nations that have the experience here. 
Excellent. Uh, a really good sort of like rallying note there, I think, as we draw to a close. But on a very light, very much lighter note, um, I always like to conclude my podcast with this question um, of all my guests. Of If you had the choice to invite two people, either from the present or the past, to a dinner party, who would you pick, Chairman Royce, and why? Well, I think from the past, Aristotle, I, I think just in terms of reason and logic, uh, uh, if I knew Greek, I think uh, that dinner party would, uh, I think you contrast the ideals of the Enlightenment, um, the Greek Enlightenment uh, with uh, the European Enlightenment uh, and a, a chance to, you know, uh, sort of compare and contrast uh, mm the future of that type of thinking, a society based more on reason and logic and, uh, and rights of man, uh, democratic systems. Uh, this, this would, I think, be a great conversation. Um, so I, I think, um, I, I have to confess, I also, I, I very much enjoyed Margaret, Margaret Thatcher. I know some of the criticisms, but at the end of the day, as someone who spent a lot of time studying economics, I have to say that um, uh, free market uh, is a concept that works better than command and control. And I do think uh, a more robust discussion of uh, sustainable development, a, a deeper understanding that a lot of the free market economists like Hayek wanted us to capture the social costs, wanted us to put a cost on pollution. There are free market solutions to a lot of the things that you and I worry about I'm not sure they're understood well enough. And I think that maybe a deeper, more robust conversation about how we use the marketplace, but empowerment in the market in order to, you know, um, address uh, climate and other issues like that would be an, an important expansion of an idea that I think would be a win-win for society for the long term um, in terms of having something that's both sustainable development, but also gives upward social mobility of people who can um, have hope and opportunity in a, in a more market-based system than you can in a top-down command and control economic system. So these are the kinds of discussions that I think would be interesting. Sounds like quite the dinner party, Chairman Royce. Um, so that's all we've got time for today. Um, Thank you so much for your time. It's been a really interesting discussion. Um, and yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. I look forward to it again, Ryan, maybe someday and seeing you in, in London. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you, sir. That's all we have time for in today's episode. Huge thank you again to Chairman Ed Royce for his time for coming on the podcast today. And I look forward to speaking with you all next time. Thank you for joining me.